Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. What God wants with you and me is a love relationship. And if there's going to be love, anybody here that's in a marriage, one of the sweet things about a marriage is you have someone that says, hey, I want you. I know there's a lot of other options, but I'm picking you. And you have the other person saying, and I pick you too. And we both have other options, but we're choosing each other. And so that would make some marriage a really special thing, a really sweet thing. That two people are saying, hey, I'm above all other people, all the other women on the planet. I want you to be with me forever, exclusively, just me and you. A lot of people think of love as this overwhelming emotion, as opposed to choice, decision, and action that one makes every day. Divorce rates will tell you that marriage isn't easy, but it makes it that much sweeter when you know that someone chose you and continues to choose you every day. Pastor Bill reminds us today that that's why God gave us free will. He could force us to have relations with Him, but He desires that sweetness of being chosen by us. It won't be easy, but He makes it so worth it. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Romans chapter 9. For today's edition of A Transforming Word. I've been very blessed going through this book. It's been awesome. We looked at some really key verses and just how how does salvation work? How does it happen? How does it take place? And it seems like the, the, the things that are very important for our practical walking out with God, people have made really confusing. And so uh, there's a great debate. You know, there's people that are Reformed theology guys, Calvinists that this can make this stuff all confusing. You know, what's the how much of it is God's responsibility? How much of it is our responsibility? If God chooses people, how does he decide who he's choosing? How come he didn't choose them, but he chose them? How does it all work? I believe Romans chapter eight. And as we got into chapter nine, beautifully laid those things out in chapter eight. We read uh, eight twenty eight that God whom he foreknew. He also predestined. So God's kind of working from a vantage point that we're not working from. We don't foreknow, do we? I just know what's in my face. You know, I don't I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. The way I explained it to us when we went through that section is that if I foreknew tomorrow's lotto numbers, it wouldn't even be a gamble for me to go in. I would just go like, I'm not gambling. I'm not, I know the numbers are going to be, you know, I'm not going to say numbers to some of y'all. I'm going to write that down. You know, pastor gave me the numbers, you know. So, but it wouldn't be a gamble. It would just be like, I know. And you would just go do it. It'd be a matter of fact. And so what God says, look, God knew before I got saved in 1995 that I was going to be saved. When did God know that I was going to be saved? The Bible says before the foundation of the earth. I didn't know. In 1989, when I was graduating eighth grade, that I was going to be saved. I didn't know in 1993 when I finished high school. If we could have just asked in 93, you think one day you're going to be saved and go to church regularly. That would have been a joke. Uh, If you would have added to that, that you would one day want to to teach other people the Bible, I would have laughed you to scorn and had a beer. Um, You know, it was there was nothing in me that knew that, but he knew that. And so that's the vantage point God is working from. So I don't have a problem with it. God said, look, I I knew, Bill, that you were going to be saved, even when you didn't know. I foreknew. I knew that one day you were going to bow your knee, humble your heart. Now, does God also know those who won't be saved? Absolutely. When God picked the 12 disciples, did he know Judas was a mole? He did. He knew. He said, I know I picked you. I know you were a son of perdition when I picked you. But he needed a mole, right? How was he going to get to the cross? He needed a Judas. He needed somebody to betray him and to turn him over. He came to die. 
So it wasn't an accident. It wasn't like Jesus made a mishap. Oops. Jesus wasn't shocked when Judas betrayed him. He even told the disciples as they met, he said, when are you guys going to betray me? When I dip my bread with. And all the disciples were like, is it me? Lord, is it me? They were like, am I going to be the one? Except Judas. And um, I'm always amazed that everybody didn't just turn to Judas and be like, I knew it. You know, <laughs> Judas, be, be careful though, right? That means that Judas was a really good fake. I mean, he, he played his part. He played it so well. I pastor this church, right? I have to pray about guys that we would trust to handle the finances. And there are guys that I would say, I trust that guy to handle God's money for the church. I don't touch the money. Someone else handles the money, other people. Judas was thought well enough of among the disciples. He was the one holding the money. So I look at that and I think, wow. I mean, he was a really good fake. Don't be a Judas. Don't be a Judas because he fooled everybody until it was too late. You know, he fooled himself, right? Where's Judas at right now? I don't want to be there. So it's hot in here, but I'm telling you, it's just going to be a lot hotter. So, so moving on. So we, we learned those things in chapter nine, a couple of things that we went to um, as God was explaining, um, Paul was sharing kind of his heart for the Jewish people, desiring them to be saved. And that's kind of what the next two chapters covers. There's this group of people, the Jews that have at large, they've rejected the Lord. Like they haven't wanted to walk with God. What do we do? How do we reach out to people in our lives that we're like, I really, really, really want to see them saved, but they don't want to hear about it. We're going to learn a few things that we can do. We have a part. They have a part. And I can't, you know, I can't make them do their part, but I can definitely do mine. So I'm going to help us understand as we go through the word, what's our part? Um, Can I make somebody get saved? I wish I could. If God said you can beat them up till they get saved, I'll go take martial arts classes. I'll be beating people up. It'd be everybody I come in kind of, I'll start with the little people. Everybody little in my life would be saved, you know. But we don't get to do it like that because what God wants with you and me is a love relationship. And if there's going to be love, anybody here that's in a marriage, one of the sweet things about a marriage is you have someone that says, hey, I want you. I know there's a lot of other options, but I'm picking you. And you have the other person saying, and I pick you too. And we both have other options, but we're choosing each other. And so that would make a marriage a really special thing, a really sweet thing that two people are saying, hey, I'm above all other people, all the other women on the planet. I want you to be with me forever, exclusively, just me and you. That's what makes it special. God says, well, that's what I want. Right. I've chosen you and we all get the opportunity to choose him back. If you don't want him, he's not going to impose. God's not a rapist. He's not going to impose his will upon you. God's not going to make you get saved. And that's how come some people aren't saved, because there's a part that we play. God chooses. He's died. He's made provision. He sends people to preach the gospel, the work of the Holy Spirit to illuminate people. And once all that's done, once Jesus has died, so the provision is made, the Holy Spirit is illuminated, your eyes have been opened, the, the preachers have preached, so you have clarity and you understand. You can hear all that and say, I understand. I recognize I need it. But I'm not going to let this stuff go right now. How do I know that's true? Because I did that in 1993. My older brother took me to a church. So I didn't grow up going to church. My exposure to the gospel was close to none. You know, I had a belief that there was a God. That was about it. Um, Just pretty carnal grew up. And I remember my first time. um, It was for my mom's birthday. Me and my older brother weren't really getting along. So we said, hey, let's for mom's birthday, let's let's do something together and we'll go to her house and show her that we're hanging out. And my brother was like, all right, I'm going to take you to church. And I was like, all right. So I remember going to this youth group with my brother and it's in Inglewood, Um, went to the youth group, sat there. I've never I mean, the person preached. I was I experienced the conviction of the Holy Spirit first time in my life as they preached the gospel. I knew I needed it. 
When they said, those who want to receive it, come forward, I was the first one got up and I went down. There was something happening spiritually. I knew I needed it. And I went down and I went and prayed. Now, the people kind of turned me off when I went to the prayer room. They were telling me I can't wear my tank top. I got to take out my earring. And they were, you know, they kind of messed up there. But I remember when I went home after that moment. So it looked like at church that night, I got saved. But I remember going home, back to my mom's house. And I remember standing, I stood in my bedroom. I walked in my door, I shut the door. And I have a window that looks out to the backyard. And I'm just looking at that window. It's like a mirror at night. And I stood in that window looking and just contemplating, like, what would it be if I gave my life, if I really did this? And I was sitting there thinking about it. And I made a conscious decision right there, staring in that mirror, that I can't do this. I got to let my girlfriend go. I can't sell my weed. I can't have my little this, my little that. And I remember standing in the mirror saying, like, I got to give up too much. And even though I would experienced conviction, God had illuminated, God had done all his part. I made a conscious decision right there in my room, like, I can't do this right. I can't do it. And I didn't do it. And I am fully convinced, had I died in between age 16 and 19, I would have went to hell. I have rejected Christ. Clearly, I have rejected a, a clear presentation. I rejected it. God's merciful, and he gave me an opportunity when I was 19, and I, I didn't reject him this time. And I gave my life to Christ. But, but I do know that, there's, there, that we both have a part to play. God does his part, and then there's a part that we play, we can receive it or reject it. Amen? So we're going to look at the Jews. We talked about the Jewish people and how they God chose them. God elected them. God, they're they're his own special people. But at large, the Jewish people have rejected Jesus as Messiah. Um, let me give the context. Um, Paul was given a hypothetical in verse 22. We talked about that. This is one of the verses that the Calvinists love. It says, what if God? And I told you guys to keep that. that. That helps us with the context. What if God wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known? Endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy that he had prepared beforehand. Even us whom he called not the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And so the question was a hypothetical because we're never in a position to judge God. Right. I'm never in a place where I can say, well, God shouldn't have done that. I don't think God should do it that way. And so he said, look, what if God decided that I picked them for this and I set them aside for that. You can't judge him if that's what he did. So it doesn't say God did that. And we know from elsewhere in scripture, that's not how it's done. But God's making it clear here. You can't judge me. You're human beings. You're little people. You're my created beings. You don't get to bring me in the judgment. We know that. Don't ever bring God in the judgment. I'll just give you a few ways that people do this. Maybe you've had some really bad things happen to you in your life done by the hands of people done through circumstances, medical conditions, whatever. Sometimes people in those instances judge God. Why would God allow that? Why did God let that happen? I was doing this, that, and the other. Why did God? And if I help you out with one thing, your biggest issue is not your health, not your family, it's not your finances, it's not your job, it's not your kids. Your and my biggest issue is that we're sinners, we deserve hell, and we need to be forgiven. Jesus took care of that. Done. That's what he promises in the word. Those who believe in me, he'll say. We're going to see that in chapter 10. So if something negative befalls me, I can't be like, God, how come you let that thing happen to me? God's like, look, I saved you. What's a bigger deal? I lost my job. If God loved me, I wouldn't have blah, blah, blah. What we're supposed to do, because we learned this in Romans 8, 28, all things are working together for what? The good of who? Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me lose a job. Praise the Lord. 
this is going to work out for the good because I'm one that loves God and calls according to his purpose. So I could just start looking forward to what's going to happen. Yeah. Now I know I'm going to have some bills that don't get paid and I'm going to have some stresses and stuff. But that's how the believer is supposed to walk this thing out, not get mad at God. You know, some people smoke and get lung cancer and then be mad at God. <laughs> we, don't have to go, we don't have to go there. But, you know, you can have something happen outside of that. This happened. I know people that just negative things happen. You know, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith never smoked in his life. Got lung cancer. That's what ultimately took him his life. But that man ministered to me. I watched him, 80-some years old, struggling physically. And he had a, he had a, you know, he had the thing with the air going through your nose, strapped around his ears with the little tank. He was going up to the pulpit preaching like that. And they were saying, man, you could just stop. You could just retire. You could just, he was like, no, no, until, until I die or the Lord comes back. And he preached his last Sunday. The week he died, he preached like that. I was at Calvary Chapel Downing when he came to speak one week. And he's getting old and frail and he tripped and he fell down. He broke his nose. 87 year old man fall down, broke his nose. Everybody would have understand if he just went home. He said, oh, oh no. <laughs> he, I'm not, he's like, that, that's just not how you get down. He patched up his nose with some stuff in his nose and he, he went out there and, you know, he didn't give a sob story. He went out there that night and preached the gospel. I watched that and I said, God, I don't care if I'm sick. I don't care if I got the sniffles or the flu. Um, when I get old and ain't, like I need to do what I'm supposed to do until I die. That's what he showed me. It was like, no, I'm, a, I'm, I'm called to do this until I die. I'm not looking to stop. I'm not looking for a way out. My thing is, but I never heard him complain. I never heard him saying, God, I've been serving you all these years. Faithful, faithful, faithful. And look at, I broke my nose. I was going to preach. I, I got the cancer. He just said, look, I'm going to preach with cancer. Left a great example for all the men that are looking to him. And so be careful how you wear your, your trials and your difficulty, right? So moving on. So he gives that hypothetical question. And then the rest of this chapter, he's going to be pointing to the book of Hosea. And so I've alluded to it, but I'll go ahead and get into it with you guys a little bit before we go to, go to chapter 10. As God is saying, I want you to know how I love those. I'm loving on some people that don't love me back, the Jewish people. So verse 25, he says, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. And there and her beloved uh, who is not beloved and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people there. They shall be called the sons of the living God. So let me give you this story from Hosea real quick. And I for you guys that come here regularly, I know you heard it's my favorite illustration of how God loves unlovely people. God told the prophet Hosea in Hosea chapter one. You can write it down and go look at it later. God told the prophet Hosea, gave him a really strange request. God says, I want you to go and marry a wife of harlotry. I want you to go marry a harlot. So everybody here with two eyes and a little bit of common sense knows that that's not generally where men go to pick a wife. Um, you don't go. You don't go to the strip, you know, to pick a wife. And so God said, but I want you to go and find a harlot and make her your wife. And he went out and he found one. Her name was Gomer. Beautiful name. <laughs> so he took Gomer and you, know, you don't see that. Of all the Bible names, I don't think I've met a Gomer. You know, anyway, he married Gomer. They get married. They have three kids. Um, as you look at the names of the children, it becomes apparent that she's not faithful. The first child they have, and this is in Hosea 1-4, called his name Jezreel, which means it says, for in a little while, I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel in the house of Judah. That one was okay. The second child they had in verse 6, uh, he named Lo-Ruhamah. It means, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. There was question as to rather Lo Ruhama was his. Uh, there was a question mark. And that's a strange place to be. If, it, if When you're in a marriage, there's just be no question. That's mine, right? 
But there was a question as, a, as unto whether or not that was his child or not. There had been unfaithfulness. Well, when we get to the third child, it's not even a question mark. It's a fact that it's not his. The third child in verse 9, they named Lo-Ami. And it means, for you are not my people. So imagine having a kid and naming a kid, that's not mine. That's essentially what they, what they named the third child. He's like, the second child might not be mine. Third child, not my kid. Imagine being that kid. What's your name? Not my kid. It's like, so, but that's what happened, right? So there was unfaithful. So he picked, he picked, sorry, my voice is going. He picked a woman that was not really a choice pick for a wife to begin with. Then after he picked her, she was unfaithful in the marriage proven by children that were born out of adultery. Then it says after she did all of that, it says that she left him and went back to her harlotry. So she was like, I'm done with this marriage. She back out there doing what she was doing when he met her. And then in chapter three, God tells the prophet Hosea, and this is where the illustration comes. God tells him in chapter three, verse one, it says, then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is being loved by a lover, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of pagans. God says, Hosea, now I want you to go back and get her. But she's out on the block, Lord. I know. I'm using you to make an illustration. I hope God never wanted to use me like that. But God told Hosea, look, now go back and get this wife that's back in prostitution. Go back and get her. Go again and love a woman that says, who is being loved by a lover? Right now, she's being adulterous. She's cheating right now. Go back and get her and pick her. And it says, that's just how much God loves the children of Israel. who keep going after the raisin cakes, the, the things of the pagans instead of him. And so why does he give this illustration here? God is saying, look, I mean, when you look at this illustration, could God do anything more? He's like, I picked unfaithful people. I gave you the opportunity to be with me. When you left me, I went after you again. And as you read the story of Hosea, he actually had to buy his own wife. He had to go buy her back. Now, how did God get you and me? Purchase price. The blood of Jesus. We were redeemed by the blood of the lamb. He purchased us. Now, were you and I a great pick when he picked you and I? No, Romans 5 eight says God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. We're just like the harlot in the story. We weren't really anything great when he picked us. Any of y'all been super faithful since he picked you? Anybody want to raise their hand on that one? Okay, we ain't been that great since he got us. He's not like he got a great deal and he purchased us and he still wants you and he still wants me. So for the believer, it, it ought to just have us in a place where we're just, we just ought to be melted in the love of Christ. God loves us so much. It should be worship should be easy. Serving him should be easy. Just looking at how much he loves us. But God says in this context here, I did this toward the Jews and they still don't want me. They still reject me. They still don't want anything to do with me. And so God does something unique. What God does is, is uses us, the Gentiles. I'm using you guys. The Jews rejected me. So I moved my attentions and I shifted over here to the Gentiles. And in a large part, as you read the rest of the chapter, we're going to read it real quick. He says that there's a remnant of Jews that are going to be saved. Um, but God said, I've moved my affection over. I've moved my attention over here. I still love the Jews. I've still chosen them. I've still elected them. But I'm saving those who call upon my name. And that's what chapter 10 tells us. So um, now look at verse 27. He quotes out of Isaiah. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea. The remnant will be saved. So their number, according to his promise to Abraham. So God said, I kept my word. Their number is like the sand of the sea. They're innumerable. But a remnant, just a, uh, just a remnant are going to be saved. So that's kind of a sad state. And um, I've been to Israel, went on a trip there and got to look. And it's, it's a sad thing. Like you're in the land where Jesus did all the things that he did. And 
in the very place where he did all the things, where he died and where he where he did all the works that he did. The majority of the people in that region don't believe that he is the Messiah. They rejected him from day one. Why did they reject Jesus? That's I, I, I look at that. I mean, how come? Like, how come they reject him? And one of the things that we want to be careful about is expecting Jesus to come in a way that he did not say he was going to come. Jesus just didn't meet up to their expectations. They had dreamed up a Messiah that the Bible didn't speak about. The Jews had dreamed up a Messiah that was going to be a military. He was going to crush the Romans, but it was never prophesied that he was coming to crush the Romans. In their mind, they had this image of what it was going to be like. And when Jesus came in the town, how did he come in? Riding on a donkey. Not even a full size one. He got the coat, but he got the baby donkey. I mean, he came in riding. You couldn't, have, you couldn't have come in in anything more humble than Jesus. And they just said, that's not, that's not what we're looking for. He's not even a fighter. I mean, he just preached and speak, but that's what he sent. That's how the Lord presented himself. And so we always want to be careful. I always like, I, I, I always correct people when they place unbiblical expectations on the Lord, because I think that's one of Satan's tricks to get people turned off to the Lord. I expected God to do this, but he never said he would. And then he didn't do what I expected him to do that he never said he was going to do. Now I'm mad at him for not doing what I expected him to do. So you want to be careful about raising up un- unbiblical expectations. You know, I-, I expect everything to work out great for me because I'm saved. What verse is that? What verse is that? Everything's going to always go your way. I expect to never lose my job because I'm saved. I expect to never have problems with my kids because I'm saved. I mean, you find me those verses, but I don't, they ain't in there. Not in this 66 book. So, you know, you got to be careful about, you know, when something goes wrong or some difficulty happens. I expected God to do X, Y, and Z, and I'm disappointed. And it's like, but he never said that. I've I've had to talk to people at really low moments. And, you know, I want to comfort them and love them, but I want to help them. I'm like, you know, there's, you know, God never said that wouldn't happen. He never promised that. If you get mad at him for not doing something he didn't say, think about how that, if I, if if, if there's something that you never said you, you never made a commitment to do, and then someone got mad at you for not doing it, you'd be like, What's your problem? You know, like you can't even fix that. You know, it's just their problem. So we got to be careful about that. That's what the Jews did. That's one of the reasons Um, they also rejected him because they love their religion. They have religion and religion feels good to sinners. You know why? Because religion doesn't require anything underneath the surface. And so a lot of people are religious today. There's churches full of religious people. Right now, I'm going to make it right. I've been a fool all week. I done cussed people out. I've been breaking commandments. I've, there are people that were fornicating last night that are at church right now doing their make. I'm getting it right. I'm, I just want to get my feel good. When I was a kid, my experience with church, the few times we did go, was when things had gotten so bad at home where we had messed, things were just so messed up that my mom would say, we need to go so that, you know, just so we could feel good. And I was like, I don't feel good when I go. Me and my sister would sit at church and I would take the, the papers in the back and we would draw pictures of people in there. And then um, I, my sister would look for ugly women and be like, that's your wife. And I would look for ugly men and be like, that's, that's all we did. It was There was nothing spiritual happening there. That was my experience with church as a kid. I'm so sorry. Um, that's what it was, you know. We want to be cautious about those things. And so moving on. Verse 28 says he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make it short upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. And so they recognize that even though there's mercy and judgment, if God hadn't at least left the seed that he left us, 
we'd be just like Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, Sodom and Gomorrah were completely wiped out. The Jews, there's at least a remnant. So he's saying with the Jews, there's at least going to be some Jews that get saved. With Sodom and Gomorrah, God says, smoke the whole place. None left. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Bovington and A Transforming Word. We know you didn't have to come today. You could have turned off this message and moved on to the news or to a talk show, but you chose to stay. You chose to invest your time in learning more about the Word of God with us. In this series, Pastor Bill is making his way through the book of Romans. In Romans 8, 6, we read, For to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. You didn't have to stay today, but it might be the best decision you could have made. On the news, you could have encountered plenty of death, but here we're able to set our minds on the spirit together, discovering the life and peace that he brings. And we have more opportunities for you to set your mind on the spirit. Why wait for the next edition of A Transforming Word? On our website, you'll find a daily Bible reading plan, links to our YouTube channel and our mobile app. You'll have hundreds of messages available to you at the touch of a finger. You'll also find ways to join in the work with us through giving and prayer. Our website is calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. But there are other ways to find us too. We're on Instagram and Facebook. What better way to move your mind to the Spirit than to bring Him into your social media? As you can see, we have many ways to help you connect with God throughout your week. Oh yeah, and don't forget to come back here next time for a transforming word to transform your life.